Today's Bible reading starts at Genesis chapter 1. That's page 1 of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to chapter 2, verse 2. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seeds in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then jumping forward to chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And then jumping forward again to chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. This was after the, the fall. To Adam, he, God, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Daniel. If you can keep your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, I'm sure it'll help you as we go through it. But let's pray that God will speak to us through these words. Lord, we thank you so much for your living word that has created the heavens and the earth and that sustains it even now. And Lord, we pray now that you will speak to us and form us into people who work for your glory and for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder, um, you can recognize some of these toy fads. Uh, the toys get really popular at certain times and then they go away, right? So I wonder if you can recognize this. Can anybody recognize this? Yeah, what is it? Cabbage Patch Kids, they were really popular in the 1980s. How about this one? Beanie Babies. This one is called Princess Bear. Do you know how much it's valued at on eBay? 500,000 500, US dollars. So if you have one of these in your closets, um, yeah. Uh, and how about this one? Che uh, 
chia pets. Uh, chia pets have been popular. Uh, these stories come and, I mean, these toys come and go. They go, go really popular, but then, you know, nobody cares for them anymore. But there is a toy company that has endured the test of time. It was founded in 1932. It just passed Mattel as the biggest uh, toy company by revenue. Can anybody guess what this toy company might be? It's the Lego company, it's true. Uh, this company is great for many different reasons. Um, the concept of Lego is so simple, right? So people can, kids can just pick it up and start playing with it, but then it can create something that is so complex um, that adults can really play with them too. Lego quality is also unmatched. The company has made some brilliant marketing moves in recent days. They partnered with Disney and it gave them access to like Harry Potter and, and uh, Star Wars and all those things. Uh, it's become really popular, but there is something more to the reasons behind their success, isn't there? It's not just the marketing. It's not just that it's simple. It's so enduring because it taps in uh, into something that is within us, a desire that is within us. It's creativity, the, 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 this idea that we can create anything with Lego. Children can create it, adults can create anything uh, in however way that they'd like, with whomever they want to. Possibilities are endless. And people have done some amazing things. People love playing with Lego and they've made some amazing things with Lego. Uh, and as they're making them, they delight in making them. I wonder if you can sense a similar kind of delight in chapter one of Genesis as God creates the whole universe. God was speaking and commanding, making, separating, forming, and filling the whole earth. And as he's creating these things, he repeats again and again, right? That this line is repeated again and again, that God saw it and it was good. Uh, and when Genesis writer, uh, when it's done, when the, the, the work of creation is done in verse 31, God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. In Genesis chapter 1, we see a God who is working. God who is working, creating, and delighting in the works of his creation. But in a sense, I don't know if you've thought about it like this, in a sense, the work of creation wasn't completed. It wasn't done. On the sixth day, God creates human beings in his image, with his, some of that creative power. He creates human beings in order that we, human beings, might continue the work of creation. You heard it in Genesis chapter 1 in verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creatures that move along the ground. The people whom God created, in a sense, were to continue creating, in filling it and in subduing it and ruling over it, tending to it. In fact, we're created in God's image in order to continue to exercise that image, to continue to fill and rule and subdue. This is how one commentator put it. People must now carry on the work of development. By being fruitful, they fill it, with, uh, fill it even more. By subduing it, they must form it even more as God's representatives carry on where God had left off. But this is now to be a human development on earth, 
The human race will fill the earth with its own kind. It will form the earth for its own kind. From now on, the development of the created earth will be societal and cultural in nature. I'll come back to this, but let's go back and say, actually, you've heard this from me before. Every year in the Workplace Sunday, we say this, work is good. We are created to work. Adam and Eve were worked in the paradise. It's not a result of the fall because God created us to work in the Garden of Eden. That's why we find work as a basic need in us. Basic need as, as, as food and rest and friendship and sexuality. You know that if you've tried to rest for a long time, tried not to do anything uh, for a while, you get, uh, you get restless. My father's retirement ended exactly six months. He retired and he went back to work um, in six months because he just, there is great joy in working. There is great uh, delight in working because we're made to work. And we find work deeply satisfying, partly because we are godlike when we are working. We're imaging God. We're exercising the image of God that God has given us when we work, because that's what we're created to do. Uh, God created light and darkness, earth and the heavens. But with these things, we as human beings are supposed to do what theologians call sub-creation. We can't create those things, but we can, all, we can create things with the things that God has created, right? Organizing and separating, gathering, cultivating, and bringing out the full potentials of the earth um, that's already in God's good creation. That's what we are supposed to do, to fill the whole earth with God's goodness and culture and society, uh, bringing out the fullness and full potential of the world around us and the people around us. This is why Genesis 1 also moves to Genesis chapter 2, and the image of being a gardener is so helpful. Take a look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Verse 15, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. He's supposed to be a gardener who works and takes care of the garden. And a gardener is different from being a park ranger. Park ranger just protects, let the wild be wild. But a gardener cultivates, right? Uh, he organizes and enhances and enriches by watering and weeding it and planting to bring out the full potential of the earth, to, to create varieties that couldn't be there before him being there, to bring out the, 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 the full, uh, uh, fullness of the living thing in that garden. And that's what we are supposed to do as workers here on earth. That's what God has put us to do, to bring out that potential, to cultivate the world, to fill it with God's goodness. And in most of your jobs, you are doing that. That's what you are doing, that you're cultivating. You are bringing out the full potential in, 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 in people and in things. If you're a teacher or a mother, uh, you are imaging God. Right? As you cultivate your children or a student, bring out, bringing out the fullness of their potential, tending to their minds. You're imaging God as an artist if you create works of painting or music and dance, bringing out the potentials of the colors and the sound and of human body. You might be a doctor bringing out 
order, from disorder. That's what God does, bringing out order from chaos. You might be a doctor bringing out that order in people. You might be an insurance or a finance person who's planting and cultivating money, uh, bringing, in a, uh, bringing the fullness of that sort of potential of the, uh, of the money, uh, of the company, for people to live out uh, their retirement, to their retirement years. You might be a hairdresser who bring out the uh, um, beauty of that person or a cook who brings out all the flavors of, of, of God's creation. And when we do these things, we find it immensely satisfying because we are imaging God. We are doing what God has created us to do, to create, to cultivate, to, uh, uh, to, to tend. But... Work itself, work is not just for us, although there is great enjoyment in doing it. Take a look at verse 15 again. Adam and Eve were put to the garden to work it and to take care of it. The command is to take care of the world. He wants, just as we want to use our gifts, we also want to help the uh, the people and the world about us. We want to do something. We want to take care of the world. Um, I read every book um, that Alain uh, de Button writes. He's an atheist philosopher, but I think he's thought about the world, and I think he says a lot of truth. Uh, one of the things that he says in his book, Pleasures and Sorrows of Work, um, from which this, the title of the sermon is taken, he, he says uh, this about work. When does a job feel meaningful? whenever it allows us to generate delight or reduce suffering in others. Though we're often taught to think of ourselves as inherently selfish, the longing to act meaningfully in our work seems just as stubborn a part of our makeup uh, as our appetite or status or money. We're made to think that we're selfish and we want to just delight in ourselves. But he says, actually, we, the, the, the instinct to uh, help others, help the world is in us. Well, I want to tell them that it's in us because God created us to be that way. God gave us this world and says, tend to it, to take care of it. This is your purpose. This is one of the meanings of why you are here. You see, God created this beautiful world, put us on it, to, to, and told us to fill it, to rule over it, to subdue it, to, to cultivate and take care of it. And there are pleasures in fulfilling that command. And there are pleasures then in doing work. At the same time, having said all of this, I know that many of you, uh, as you think about work tomorrow, you, do, you hate going back to work tomorrow. I read an article that said that uh, about half of our sick days are actually fakes. I mean, not, not this, uh, fake sick days. <laughs> They're sick days. <laughs> Uh, about half. I have one of the best jobs in the world, and I think I sometimes hate going to work. Well, it's because work on this, uh, we, it's because we work on this side of the fall, on this side of Genesis chapter 3. Sin and its consequences are all around us. Its curses are all around us. 
And we see it, right? God told us to fill the earth, but that ability to fill the earth has become much more difficult because of the curse that has come on childbearing. Child, uh, through painful, I mean, right? It it becomes really painful. It becomes difficult. But it's not just the filling. It's the uh, it's the ruling over it, subduing. That's also become really difficult as well because of the penalty of our sin. So, if you can take a look at chapter three. Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. God says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat uh, food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the f- and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. That passage isn't just about the ground. It is about our ability to work, to image God. Our, Our work will not just produce good things, good fruit anymore, but it will also produce thorns and thistles, all sorts of unintended and unwanted consequences and difficulties. And you know that because you work. Uh, you'll get uh, bugs in your programs or bad customers or kids who are just troublemakers uh, and people will cause you to struggle. They will come up. That's part of our work now. It also means, I think, uh, that our work will always be imperfect. And I feel this every Sunday. Every Sunday, um, in my mind, I know exactly what I want to say and how I want to say it. I, I, I've agonized over it to express it clearly and effectively, but I hate listening to my own sermons because all I can listen to is the thorns and the thistles, um, all the ways I, in which I could have done it better. Um, all the, I hear all the stuttering and all the ways that I, I, I'm unclear. And it's like that with most work. It's not quite what we had envisioned. It has produced thorns and thistles with the goodness of our work. Also, the fall has made it more difficult to work, right? It's painful toil we will work. Uh, By the sweat of our brows, we will eat. Partly this is because work after the fall, I think, is mismatched with often with our gifts and talents and passions. You've heard this joke. I've told it once before, but I'll tell it again. Heaven, heaven is a place uh, where police are British, the cooks are the French, the mechanics are German, lovers Italian, and it's all organized by the Swiss. Hell is where the chefs are British, the mechanics are French, lovers Swiss, the police German, and it's all organized by Italians. It's mismatched passion and talent. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons why many of you feel work is so hard. Because where your passions and your giftings are, it's, it's, it's mismatched with what you do each day right now. And if you can do something about that, that is great. You should do something about that. But unfortunately for many of us, that is just a reality of the fallen world. Uh, because we live in this fall, fallen world, we, some, we just have to put up with much of it. That's why I think the Bible tells us that it's okay, actually, in this side of the, new, uh, in this side of the fall, it's okay to work just to put food on the table. In fact, Paul commands that you should work. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, 
the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Putting food on the table is good enough of a reason on this side of the fall to work. But it's not just that, it's also our sinfulness that makes it so painful um, to, to work. Our sinfulness produces workaholism instead of balance, competition instead of cooperation, cheating instead of fairness, idolatry instead of proper delight, pride rather than humility. All the ways in which we contribute to making work hard. But it's not just our individual sinfulness. It's our collective sinfulness, the culture that we create. I mean, workaholism, materialism, competition are in the air that we breathe in Hong Kong. And that's something that we've all contributed to in Hong Kong. Through painful toil, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Work is difficult, but I'm going to even make it more depressing because it's also tinged with death, verse 19. You will do this until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. Our work is tinged with death. No matter how brilliant you are, you will die. No matter how brilliant your work is, that work will also decay. Going back to that book, Pleasures and Sorrows of Work, Alan DeButton takes the readers to a field in California where old airplanes are strewn throughout the desert. He looks around this airplane um, boneyard and says that these were once, in their days, technological marvels, something that many, many people put years and years of work to produce. But then he says, look around. It's all just dying. It's decaying. That's what happens to work after the fall. Either our work will be made obsolete by new technology, it'll be taken over by somebody else, or you will die. What you've done, you will not be able to see the, the eternal result of it. For dust you are, dust you will return. But the gospel brings hope even to our work. How? Well, I think, one, understanding these things really helps, don't, uh, doesn't it? It helps us to know that work isn't the result of the fall, that God himself is a worker, that we are created to work. It gives dignity, then, to every kind of work that is not sin- sinful. Whether you're a teacher or a mother or a lawyer, street sweeper, helper, we're exercising the image of God when we work. We're participating in the continuing creation, sub-creation, bringing out the full potential of this world and filling it with God's goodness and God's glory. When you create new things, that's what you're doing. When you create an office environment that's good, that's what you are doing. You're creating and filling this world with God's goodness. And knowing this also allows us to see our work as working for the Lord. Um, and no matter what our jobs are. In fact, Paul command, that's what Paul commands to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your hearts as working for the Lord for, uh, and not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a, rewar- as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Since God gave us work, 
we can, it's God-given. It is the Lord Christ whom we are serving in our workplaces. And hopefully, if you're working for God in your work, hopefully it'll make you more diligent. It'll make you more responsible, creative, efficient. But also, I hope it'll make you more honest. It'll make you more wise. It'll make you more restful, knowing that God wants you to rest. Even knowing that work has fallen, that it comes after the fall helps us. Because I think it helps us to then endure and to keep going in our workplaces when things get difficult. If you're constantly looking for perfect work, it helps us to know that there is no such a thing in the side of the new creation, in the side of the fall. There will always be frustrations in your work, whether it's from your colleagues or bosses or the work itself. It will produce thorns and thistles. It will be hard. You know, I know that some of you are wondering if there is a perfect job for you out there. There is no perfect job for you out there. There's better job and there's worse job, but there is no perfect job for you, for any of us. But I also want you to know that because of what Jesus has done, there is a world coming that will be different. There is a world coming where your gifts and passions will be matched with what you do, where your work will be meaningful all the time. It will help people and the world to flourish, to be filled with God's goodness and God's glory. And as we read last year, on the, uh, last week, with, uh, on, on the Resurrection Sunday, the whole creation is groaning for that day. And when Jesus comes back, he will create that world. And not only that, whatever you do for Christ right now in your workplaces, whatever that is good there, whatever you're working for that is good, God will redeem it and uh, redeem it. Uh, you'll see your longings fulfilled when Jesus comes back. Take my job as a pastor. I prepare sermons, I meet with people, I put on events, all so that you might come to know Jesus a little bit better, so that you might come to walk by him a little bit closer. Uh, closer. And I see that happening, but I see that happening much uh, more slowly than I want to see. To see. I see it happening much more Im uh, imperfectly. People taking steps forward, but then taking steps backwards as well. But I know that I do not work in vain. Because Jesus died for my sin and for your sins and the new creation is coming. And when Jesus comes back, I will see all of you who love and trust Jesus being filled with his, your, his glory. You will be made perfect when Jesus comes back. What I work for now, I will see when Jesus comes back. And it's not just work as a pastor. Doctors and researchers who struggle to make people better, wrestle against aging and death, you will see a world where there is no more suffering, no more diseases, no more death, where death reigns no more. Domestic helpers, teachers, parents who live to see their, who work to see their parents, uh, who work to see their children flourish, uh, to live off the fullness of their potential. When Jesus comes back, you will see that happen. 
architects who live to create perfect harmony of function and beauty. You will see it. Finance people who want to create a financial market that directs money to, uh, the, to where it's needed, most needed. Uh, you will see that happen. Lawyers who, make, uh, who work uh, to bring peace and justice, that day will come. Those who work to alleviate poverty, you will see a day, one day, when poverty will be no more. If you work for Christ in your work, if you work for God's goodness in your work, whatever that may be, you will see it fulfilled when Jesus comes back. You will see it done. Uh, I'd like to recommend a book by Tim Keller um, called Every Good Endeavor. It was a, I checked, unfortunately, we don't have any more copies in our bookstore. We will order it. Uh, but he starts that book uh, by telling Tolkien's story uh, called Leaf by Niggle. Niggle is an artist who's abandoned all other projects to draw this magnificent tree that he can see in his mind. But for many different reasons, he just can't get it finished. First, his skill is imperfect. He just can't get it quite right. But secondly, and more importantly, he can't get it finished because of his kind heart. He does many things for the people around him, including his neighbor Parrish, and Parrish asks him to do all sorts of things. And out of the kindness of his heart, Niggle does them. And so he doesn't have the time to really put his attention and finish his work. And one day, Niggle goes to get a doctor uh, for Parrish's sick wife, and later on, he dies. Because he, as he went out, he catches a cold, and he dies with that cold. And as he's dying, he looks at the work that is unfinished, and he cries out, oh dear, and it's not even finished. The one thing that he really wanted to do. But the story isn't over. God brings him to the outskirts of the heavenly country, where something catches his eyes. He runs to it. And this is uh, Tolkien now. Before him stood the tree, his tree finished, its leaves opening, its branches growing and bending in the wind that Niggle had so often felt or guessed, and yet it had so often failed to catch. He gazed at the tree, and slowly he lifted his arms and opened them wide. It's a gift, he said. It's a gift, he said. Brothers and sisters, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. We're going to respond by offering uh, offering